This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.07. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. First up today, a dive into Perikatha National's Shadow Cabinet. Yeah, so this was unveiled on the 2nd of February when Perikatha National announced their Shadow Cabinet lineup that they said are going to lead portfolio committees. Now, this lineup uh, would respond to various policies introduced by the Prime Minister, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim's administration. And uh, perhaps because of the makeup of Perikatha National to begin with and the MPs that they do in fact have um, in seats. The shadow cabinet therefore predominantly consists of Malay Muslims with only one non-Muslim Bumiputra from Sabah and Sarawak respectively and um, three women also. Only three three women are a part of the shadow cabinet. The 26 MPs as a whole include former ministers from Datuk Sri Muhyiddin Yassin, Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin's administration and uh, first term PN MPs. So the former ministers would, of course, shadow their successors as um, the uh, customers when it comes to a shadow cabinet. And just looking at the lineup, some of the notable ones, Putrajaya MP Datuk Dr. Radzi Jidin, uh, who is, of course, former education minister, was tasked to shadow both finance and economy ministries. Indra Makota MP Datuk Sri Saifuddin Abdullah, who is formerly foreign affairs minister, now assigned to the higher education portfolio. Kubang Korean MP Datuk Sri Tuan Ibrahim Tuan Man would oversee Natural Resources, Environment and Climate Change Ministry. Not a huge shift for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bagan Sarai MP Dato Haji Idris Ahmad was assigned to the Religious Affairs Portfolio. Um, and first term MPs who have been also put into the Shadow Cabinet include uh, Dato Wan Saiful Wanjan, who is the Tasik Lugo MP, who's been assigned to Communications and Digital, and Machang MP Wan Ahmad Faisal Wan Ahmad Kamal, who will oversee Foreign Affairs. So uh, Tanzri Muhyiddin also explained that the MPs were assigned portfolios based on interest and expertise. And if you're wondering how exactly we're going to know what the shadow cabinet would propose or what they're thinking, uh, it's going to be released as statements, which will be issued by PN Secretariat, and that PN will table policies to inform the public of their readiness to lead the country if given the mandate. As you might expect also, many of these policies are likely or will be a continuation of his administration's shared prosperity vision. Now, the call for a shadow cabinet has been something that's been happening for a really long time, right? And as such, Berse uh, welcomed the formation of the shadow cabinet lineup. Uh, and they said that this was a step forward to empower the parliament as well as democracy in Malaysia. And they hoped that this would mean that the opposition would be more organised when it comes to providing that check and balance to the government. Uh, and Berse also hoped that the PM would welcome the formation of the shadow cabinet and take the opportunity to strengthen their political stability. So the the timing of this is interesting partly because the first session of parliament this year is just around the corner. It is a session that is also going to see the tabling of the of budget 2023, but now we could also see the unity government officially recognizing the shadow cabinet um, in parliament with a law that stipulates functions, rights and facilities. To be clear, this is something that Berset is suggesting that parliament do. Um, the recognition of that shadow cabinet could also or should also include a swearing in ceremony and so on. And 
perhaps um, something that you would have heard spoken about before, the argument is that shadow ministers should also receive an allowance that is a third of a minister's salary. And this is similar to Australia's system. Um, they could also be assisted with a salaried research officer with relevant expertise. So all of this is what's being suggested by Bursay. But to be fair, we have heard these sorts of calls before in relation to giving the shadow cabinet some legitimacy, some uh, accountability and some heft. Legitimacy was exactly the word I was thinking of, right? Because uh, as of now, it is an announcement from Perikatan National, from the opposition. Um, and of course, it, it demonstrates their commitment to wanting to provide that check and balance, that counterpoint. Um, how open the government of the day is going to be to that idea will be demonstrated by the suggestions put forth by Bursay. Because a shadow cabinet, no matter which side of the divide you stand on, um, is actually quite important in ensuring some accountability is kept to. The shadow cabinet is unequivocally a good thing, to me at least. How they're recognised and then subsequently how they conduct themselves is another question because politics is politics and Messy is messy, and we have traditionally been kind of messy. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm, I'm quite excited to talk about this. So um, to help discuss and, and look at what the Shadow Cabinet means in the coming days, we will be joined shortly by Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate at the Asia Research Centre at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia. But in the meantime, we'd like to hear from you. What do you think of this Shadow Cabinet lineup? You can call 777 send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. It is 5.13. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're talking about Perikatan National's newly unveiled Shadow Cabinet. Uh, we've been asking you for your thoughts. Keep sending them through. What did you think of the lineup? You can call 777-332-900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, joining us on the line is Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate at the Asia Research Centre at University of Nottingham, Malaysia. Bridget, always good to have you with us. Great to be here. Good evening. So, first of all, could you share your impressions of the Shadow Cabinet lineup? Were there any choices or exclusions that stood out to you? Well, of course, everyone will immediately speak about the limited female participation, the Malay Bumi over composition, uh, which is dominant without any uh, Indian or Chinese. Uh, those are the things that immediately everyone was speaking about. But I think there are actually um, two or three things that I think uh, that I that hit me. First of all, is that there are very there are almost no really young members in the cabinet. This is a very this is uh, this is an older cabinet um, from a perspective of the shadow cabinet. And interestingly enough, you know, PN did quite well among younger voters, but you don't see that many young uh, represent, representatives in the cab, shadow cabinet. So from a perspective of grooming and helping to train people, uh, it's very limited. Second of all, um, you know, despite if we look at the overall numbers of PN, which would have a very high number of Ustas who were actually elected, there's actually, even among some of the past representation, uh, there are fewer Ustas in the in the shadow cabinet. What we can see is more people who've had experience in government, even from PAS itself. Um, and we can see uh, those uh, those of many of those who are seen as having other forms of pro professional training. Now, uh, finally, I would also say what was interesting is that, you know, Bursatu did much, didn't win as many seats by far compared to PAS, but it has more seats in the shadow cabinet than pastas, uh, which I think is an interesting dynamic. 
So political scientist Dr Wong Chinhuat has written that the predominantly Malay Muslim male demographics of the uh, shadow cabinet is to be somewhat expected because of the lack of non-Muslim and female candidates from PN that went on to win seats in GE15. Uh, what's your take on this? Do you see the lack of diversity as an issue or just a byproduct of, um, you know, political reality? I do think... Uh Political realities played in. They they don't have the choices uh, from the perspective of those in ca- in parliament uh, from the different ethnic communities, uh, and they don't have the same number of women to actually choose as well. But keep in mind that uh, they they did not win support among non non Malays uh, largely, and they also uh, you know many of the candidates that they slated female candidates that they slated uh, actually did not did not do as well as some of their male candidates, but. I would say that that one has to go a little bit further than the context of the fact I'm giving them an excuse of these are the realities. I think to portray this cabinet as an all Malay boomy cabinet is part of the way they're framing themselves in the political process. They are legitimizing themselves by being an all Malay boomy government. Um, and I think uh, this is, uh, they they had the choice to bring in uh, at least or an advisor or others that would have been out of parliament, at least to, on, on paper, um, to have to include other people who were non-Malays into the cabinet from the perspective, at least of an advisor role. They chose not to. This is the way they're framing themselves. Now, how does this line up compare to previous forms or iterations of shadow cabinets that we've seen? Well, you know, Malaysia's doesn't have a very robust record on shadow cabinets. I mean, during Harapan, you had, you know, these committees and then you had a shadow cabinet under Zahid, uh, which there were only a few people, I think, who performed well in that. Uh, So there's not a lot of things to compare it from. I do think what's interesting is that we do see the PN coalition, PAS and Bersatu, quite integrated. And one of the things that they have been uh, successful in portraying to their political base is that they're working well together. And I think the shadow cabinet and it continues to perpetuate that image. The cabinet, um, I think, is interesting from the perspective of being a kind of a first one to set the profiles of specific areas of the different ministers. Um, and I think what's interesting is that many of these individuals have experience in government. I mean, some of them have baggage, uh, a lot of baggage, but, uh, but I would say that there is um, considerable experience in different roles having served in government. Um, and I think this is something that is Um, uh, quite interesting from the perspective of the fact that this will provide some knowledge base for them to contribute to the conversations and the debate on policies in Parliament. So we have a uh, WhatsApp that's come in from Lee Jun who says, if the shadow cabinet was merely formed to shut down everything the government proposed and to distract from main issues, then it doesn't serve its purpose. And I think uh, that's something that a number of people are concerned about. Uh, how would you respond to that? Well, I think, you know, uh, I do think that there was even debates within PAS and Bersatu whether or not to form a shadow cabinet. And the fact that there is one, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, is a positive step. Um, now, you know, one has to wait and see how they perform. Uh, and before we make a rush to judgment on these questions of whether or not it's a shutdown debate and others, um, you know, I think the real task ahead is whether or not these ministers, uh, these shadow ministers are going to actually engage the policy 
policies in a constructive way. I mean, what we're in a very difficult time here is that we're, you know, we're in a pre-election season. So there's a lot of um, uh, sense of uh, of wanting to uh, to use the, their platforms in a particular way. And also it's reasonably clear that PN is still uh, very uh, eager to take over power. And I think that they are using every means that they can to try to do so, including, you know, basically using a, a shadow cabinet to show that they're ready to govern uh, in that context. So I think, you know, one has to be, uh, you know, cautious in the sense of looking at, at how they perform, but also recognizing that this is serving a particular sets of purposes as well. So in a larger sense then, why is a shadow cabinet an important component in a mature democracy? Well, I think most the first thing we can talk about is the importance of checks and balances is that, you know, uh, uh, one of the the challenges in Malaysia is that you've had power concentrated in the executive with uh, with uh, really limited accountability. A shadow cabinet really uh, begins to check that um, and offer different perspectives. And with many of those in the shadow cabinet having government experience, this provides, uh, I think, a valuable contribution. Second of all, is that you have a, a that there is an aim of trying to to move the conversation away from personal attacks, away from racialized discourse, um, to uh, issues of policies. And I think uh, this is this is the concrete issues that Malaysians are interested in, which are wages, the economy, uh, social protection policies, and so forth. And there are many. Uh, these issues, uh, uh, shadow cabinet provides that. Um, it provides entry points for people engaging on those policies as well. And that brings me to the third thing that we often see is that, you know, when you have a shadow cabinet, uh, then if it, you have greater representation on issues, if people are concerned, for example, on issues of climate change, then they can engage both the shadow cabinet as well as the current cabinet um, from the perspective of the uh, different government departments. So I think what it does is that it, it creates more points of engagement, and this in itself becomes a healthy uh, process of for strengthening the democratic fabric. So if we go back to the lineup that we currently have um, of the of the Ikatan National Shadow Cabinet, there are some former ministers there. Would having that prior ministerial experience give an MP additional edge in this context? Generally, it would. But as I mentioned earlier, some of these people who have primer, prime, prior experience have considerable baggage in that experience. So I think um, it, it depends on the individual. Uh, but I do think uh, we can see um, some key individuals uh, that have had experience in those areas um, and performed uh, reasonably okay. Others, uh, by far, uh, performed quite poorly. And I think the cabinet does include quite a few controversial figures. So I think that as a consequence, um, that this also polarizes people's reaction to this and reaction to who is in the cabinet. And this is generally the sense of wanting to look at the personalities in, in, in Malaysia as opposed to looking at the the, the the actual structure. And the thing is, the fact is, it's driven by personalities and personality conversations. My, my concern is whether or not this cabinet is going to function as a shadow cabinet in a meaningful way. And I think uh, this is the, the steps so far have been cautious positive, but I think there's a long way to go here. 
So we have another message that's just come in from uh, Alberto, who says, after seeing the composition of the Shadow Cabinet, I wonder what is going to be Gerard Khan's next move. They've become virtually invisible, even less than the PRM. Uh, at least they ran on their own in G15 for reasons unknown to me. I was hoping uh, that Dr. Welsh could shed some light on PRM's current status. Uh, and uh, Piti Gerakan, from being an almost multiracial party within Barasa, uh, Barisan to becoming PN's uh, Chinese vote bait? Well, I mean, I think uh, the question is is a good one. And I think that uh, Garakan's, you know, last, or should we say one of the key hurrahs that they're facing is how uh, is the issues associated with, with the state election happening in Penang, which is expected probably by June or June this year. Um, my, I agree with the comments that I think that they have, uh, they've undermined the credibility in the base of their party. Um, and I think the choices that they've made really, uh, I think, are a challenge because um, they put themselves in a much weaker relationship uh, in terms of uh, they don't have a base among non-Malay electorate. Uh, and so they rely exclusively on the support of Bas and Bersatu in order to garner votes. And this is very difficult to do in a pla traditional places where they would be wanting to contest. So I think that they've made, by personal views, they've made a very uh, poor strategic choices for the interests of the party, especially given the foundations of the party. Um, but I think their focal point now is on what's going to happen in particular in Penang. So what should we expect parliamentary sessions to look like with the shadow cabinet in place? Theoretically, what happens? Well, first of all, you know, things that are patterns of participation and engagement don't necessarily change very quickly. So we can see that the parliament will probably follow similar patterns of the parliament, which is that we will see the occasional uh, unprofessional shouting match and partisan type of bickering that doesn't does no, no disservice to the conversations about what are happening from a perspective of policy. But that said, um, you know, what happens normally in these circumstances is that when issues are, com are discussed about a particular topic, the shadow minister uh, for that topic is also uh, asked to speak, and they also raise particular issues. Um, we will see this, I think the first arena for this will be the conversations over the budget. But we're entering into a, a very long parliamentary session, one of the longest in many years. So I think that we will see the, the shadow ministers uh, having a, playing a role because there'll be a whole series of issues on the docket that, uh, in terms of legislation that will be discussed. So are cabinet ministers obligated to respond and engage with shadow ministers? And is that engagement and back and forth a necessary component to ensure that a shadow cabinet is really effective? Well, usually the, the, the shadow cabinet performs at a function at a, at a level that there is that provokes a response, uh, uh, and I think usually uh, uh, there, the pattern is is that the, the cabinet minister would respond. Uh, let, I think it's too early to see what the caliber of the contributions are going to be, um, but I expect there will be a a, a play, play, you know a dynamic that emerges among some individuals in the shadow cabinet and uh, how and the questions that they raise um, the over over particular areas of policy. And what are the factors that are going to determine the success or failure of this shadow cabinet? 
I think uh, number one is is uh, is whether or not the the cab the cabinet itself uh, the shadow cabinet does its preparation does its work which is that it talks it prepares itself on sets of issues uh, you know I think uh, one of the challenges right now in this election season is that all sides of the political terrain are using kind of low hanging fruit uh, so they're trying to sort of pick things that can create clickbait as opposed to actually really talk about policy. So I think the success uh, and failure will determine, be shaped by a part um, about the substantive conversations. The second thing is, is that, you know, uh, as to one of the questions that was raised earlier, is that this, if the shadow cabinet becomes only a vehicle to to attack the current government, as opposed to address the concerns of uh, ordinary Malaysians, then of course, this, this will also undermine the viability of a shadow cabinet because it will polarize perceptions of the shadow cabinet from the perspective of, of being, uh, you know, uh, being seen as a political tool as opposed to a, a necessary uh, foundation to strengthen the democratic fabric. I think this is a second area. And the third thing, of course, is that the shadow cabinet, um, you know, I think it could be it could become uh, uh, a focal point from the perspective of of public attention, um, as opposed to the, pol- the, in- the policies themselves. So the individuals uh, may become more prominent than actually the issues that they're looking at. So I think we're still in early days yet. Uh, we've only had, you know, as I said earlier, Malaysia's had only a few experiences with, uh, with shadow cabinet. Uh, we've only had a few individuals among that who have actually taken those positions seriously. Uh, the record of some of the people in the current PN shadow cabinet is mixed. So I think we're really only going to see, a, I think, a few people be able to stand out. Bridget, we really only have 30 seconds left, but how might being a strong shadow cabinet affect the perception of both PN and the ruling government? Well, I think PN is choosing to do this because they know that this can help them along along their political base. Um, the ruling government, uh, you know, I think will have to raise its game. Bridget, thanks for speaking with us today. Most welcome. That was Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate at the Asia Research Centre at University of Nottingham, Malaysia, uh, helping us understand uh, the role that the Shadow Cabinet will play and might play as as we move forward. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. What did you think of the Shadow Cabinet lineup? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.